Welcome to Compassion Radio 360. Welcome to Friday, my dear. It's time for Compassion Radio's 360 program. Great. It's good to be here. Today is going to be an extra interesting one for me because it goes to the very heart of what it means to be a communicator, a writer, a researcher, a student. The things that we're reading in the news that are happening within the world of computer intelligence and artificial intelligence are stunning to me. It gives us the impression that, well, it's not really like us, and therefore it's mimicking us, and therefore we have some distance between us and it. And yet there are a lot of scientists out there saying there will come a point where the cumulative knowledge of the world at the fingertips of these computer programs will be so vast that their ability to deduce things that you would be able to interact with and believe and understand is indistinguishable from you talking to a trusted friend. Mm. That's what they say is coming. And so we have to grapple with that. What does it mean to actually know things? What does it mean to actually trust people or sources? That's going to become a more and more important thing. It came out even this week on the sacred side of things when pastors started debating this. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in today's program. So we have two articles that we've looked at. One is an article from a faith community, like you said, and the other is an article from a news agency. We wanted to put those up side by side and compare and contrast Mm -hmm. and grapple with this ourselves because, like you said, we are communicators. And what does it mean for us to communicate? What does it mean for us to express our own personal views? My thought was, what does it mean to actually do the work of research and finding information and scripture that go with what we're talking about. And not just doing the work to find information. I think the issue for me is, how do we know we can trust what we come up with? Mm-hmm. The truth testing. Does it pass the smell test? Do we even have a sense of smell anymore? Or are we having a kind of spiritual COVID where our smellers have been canceled mm-hmm. and we can't tell the difference anymore between what is fake and what is true? Mm-hmm. That to me is a real important issue. Right. We could go into the depths of scripture with that of taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, are we tasting and seeing <laughs> yeah. and smelling? Can we even do it anymore? Can we do it? Yeah. Because we're a communication ministry, we're not just talking about things and just pushing out data. We also are interpreters. We look at the world as it is and try to tell you from our experience, from our experience with God in the Word and with God's people around the world, what God's really up to. Because if we know it's really Him, then we know we got the truth. Mm. Because He only tells the truth about Himself and about us. And that is an axiomatic statement we have to anchor ourselves in. Either God is a truth teller or He's not God. We don't have an option of having a God that does not tell us the truth. Mm, If we're going to believe in a true God, he has to be true in all things, in all ways. So how does he build that into us so we can see things? The first analogy for me, honey, that comes up is that years ago we talked about how to know counterfeits. We did a whole program on this. How do you know something's real? Mm. Well, when they train counterfeit detectors in governments to actually look at the currency to say, oh, this one is a fake bill or this one's real, humans get involved and actually handle the money. And they train them not to look for counterfeits. The only way that these people really, really learn how to identify counterfeit is by studying deeply the real thing. Mm -hmm. And they know what a real bill feels like. They know what it smells like. They know what it looks like. All those elements come together where you know you're looking at the genuine article. They do that for months and months, just learning what real money looks like and feels like and acts like. So that when you see something that's really close, you will say, it's really close, but. but. 
Now, do we do that same kind of thing when we approach the Word of God? Do we say, God, we want to see you as you really are. We want to be as you really are. We Mm -hmm. want to be for each other as you really are. Or do we go there thinking, I know it's right, and they better believe it. I mean, there are a lot of people, I think, that go into church thinking, I've got the answers, and I can't believe these people can't see it. Let's look at this article here from gizmodo.com, which is one of those tech magazines. And they're bringing up an issue that they saw in another tech company called CNET. And it wasn't really a problem until things started getting a little loose around the gills. As the article says, CNET has been quietly publishing AI articles for months. There was something about the way the information was getting through the CNET system and onto the front page. It wasn't so much that the information in the articles was suspect, but it didn't smell like or taste like a CNET article. <laughs> yeah. So why the shift? Do they change their people on staff, their editing? They weren't sure. But something was different about CNET, and they went to look around to find out what it was. Well, interestingly enough, CNET had posted an article about how AI is not going to take over human jobs. Yeah. Humans' jobs are safe at this point. AI is not strong enough for that. However, the article itself was written by an AI. Exactly. So it was one of those things that just didn't line up ethically even. Or it seemed to. Or logically didn't seem to line up because of how it was written. Did it really reflect what they believe? Did it reflect what they were about, their values and their focus? Or was it about something else? And do you trust somebody who has a vested interest in something to write the article? (laughs) So you could say that AI has a vested interest in promoting AI. Sure, You could say that. I'm not sure that's really all the way there, but that's the question for me too. Well, I came up with some terms that were being basically coined by an AI, Mm. and they weren't typical terms that were used for the subject matter that was in the article. This other author from Gizmodo kind of noticed that and thought, well, that doesn't really make sense to me. I'm going to deep dive into this and see what's (laughs) going on here. The question was, is this really editorial integrity? Does what they're saying in the article match up to what's actually going on here? If someone's putting their name to it. yeah. Yeah. If they're depending upon somebody that is not them and not giving appropriate credit to something, then that would be not just plagiarism, but stealing somebody's intellectual product. Mm -hmm. And we would say between humans, that's not acceptable. But if you're hiding behind some AI and using their product under your own name, is that immoral? Mm -hmm. Is that unacceptable? Is it unethical? I would come down on first read on that by saying, yeah, it's unethical to not declare from where comes your information. Even if it's something that is amalgamation of a million sites worth of knowledge, You have to at least acknowledge that it wasn't just you who found the information and processed it. Professors get in a lot of trouble for attributing to themselves the work product of their underlings. They're literally in a position of power over those Mm -hmm. who do not have power and are trying to get to a place where they're contributing to the science that they care about. It is not right to be stealing from one person the work of their hands. And the Bible is really clear about that. But now you have AI. AI is the product itself of the work of someone else's hands, but its purpose is to get you into everybody else out there on the internet to see what is the survey. On Family Feud, you would finish with people saying, I think the answer to this question is favorite potato chip flavors or something like that. They would give their answer and the survey says, and somewhere out in space somewhere, other people said, no, no, the favorite potato chip flavor is sour cream and onion. That was a gimmick to the show, but It also was a great explanation, I think, of the concept behind AI. AI is going to the survey says place and saying, what does the rest of the world 
have to say about this. Mm-hmm. And then takes that information and doesn't just give all the information to you because you couldn't read a million papers. It distills and actually does things to that information to reprocess it, to present it to you as something that is ostensibly new. And that's okay to a point. If you go through the process of putting certain parameters in there and Mm. you input information or you say, I'm looking for this, it's like Google in Mm. some ways. And we talked about that earlier today. What is right about that? Is it okay to Google things and find information? Well, sure, it's okay to Google things. In fact, my phone just opened up when I said Google things. And so (laughs) it wants me to Google something, which is interesting in itself because it's AI and it wants to know what I'm trying to find out. Those things are easier than taking a day and going to the public library and going through the card catalog or the microfiche machine yeah. and you know searching articles and things. Yes, Google is a lot easier than that. My question is, is it really the work of your hands if you say artificial intelligence, write me a paper about such and such? I would say on the face of it, no, because we have certain kinds of general rules that we would say this is what's appropriate for the kind of research you do. And we're taught that even now in high schools and colleges, this is what proper attribution looks like in a paper. Mm -hmm. And this is how you find enough reliable sources. And when you cite them, it is not so much to prove that they're reliable, but to give the reader an option to go look at it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And if they do, they say, well, I don't think that article is really saying that. They can comment on that. They can say, you arrived at the wrong conclusion here because your own source says it differently, and this is why. In other words, it's inviting a dialogue and an accountability factor in there. Because you are positing this idea and you're using these sources to defend you, those sources need to be looked at Mm -hmm. so that we can verify that your conclusions are valid. So there's a relationship here between the reader and the writer that is most important. And the writer has to explain from where they arrived at this idea. Is it really a novel thing that's never been thought of before or combined that way? Or is it the summation of many other people's information that is now being used in new ways to come up with a new conclusion? That seems to be something we, by common sense, know this is what a research paper is about. And this is why we teach kids how to do this. So they know how to go find information that is accurate and correct. And yet, in the age of Google, we've got QAnon. More than just a conspiracy theory, it's become a cult. And it's drawing away many, many people from even within the church. Because it is an untested, unprovable source of information which seems to have hidden information and revelation and somehow, unexplained, seems to know stuff about stuff. And therefore, we can just take it as if it's an oracle from God. That's really happening in this world right now. It is not testable because it's not provable because it's not investigatable. It's hidden behind some curtain, like the Wizard of Oz. And Mm. we have lost our ability, I think, in that process of saying, how do we critically think about reality and what's really true? Mm. And how do we apply that? And how do we make ourselves accountable to that and say, this is the way I want to live. I want to live truthfully. Well, Scripture tells us to test the spirits. Mm. Test all the things that you allow to come into your brain and into your mind. Because there are things that will come into us that sound really close to being the truth. But if we don't spend time critically thinking, and I think that might be the key here, critical thinking about those things that come into our brains, those things that we allow to just feed us and come into us, then we're going to fall for anything. We're going to just suck it in like a sponge and not be aware that we might be sucking in something toxic. Yeah, we're stuck with only one of the three areas of argument. We talk about ethos, pathos, and logos. 
as being the things that we were taught, if we had any logic training at all when we were younger, that we have emotional, we have intellectual, and we have authority. Those three things speak to us, and they're the things that every argument has always used in history to either drive home a point or to get us to at least move over to their side of the argument. If you know who's speaking to you and what they're saying and what their argument is, you can evaluate it. Mm -hmm. You can decide whether or not you want to follow it. But it's always going to be a balance between the emotional and the intellectual to say, I can believe this because most of the time we are pushed first by emotion and we stay there in the pathos side of things. We get pathologically focused on something. There's a reason why that pathos is used in so many specific ways in our language to talk about not just how emotionally invested we are and committed, but how much that investment can be twisted into things that are not true and are not really provable and yet still seem to have us sucked in. So we were taught this, if we were in school anytime in the past 30, 40 years, that this is the basics. People can move you by emotion, they can move you by fact, but they can also move you by appealing to an authority that you respect. And those things applied to people studying the Word of God. They're trained this in seminaries, that the way you approach the Word of God, the way you present it to people, has to give them the option of actually analyzing it from those different levels. Mm -hmm. Who is your authority? Is it really God? If so, how do we know it was God? If it's his word, how do we know it's his word? In every way, not just the printed page, but in every way to the heart of God. Is this really him? Mm. Well, that's a great pivot to the other article that we were going to talk about. And the title of that article is called, Did AI Write Your Pastor's Sermon? And it's from, interestingly (laughs) enough, an organization called Patheos. Mm I love this organization. I love reading this news source because it's very thought-provoking. And sometimes it's, you know, no, I I can't go there. But but a lot of times it's very, very thought-provoking. So anyway, this article talks about two pastors that were at a conference, a teaching conference. And they are teachers who teach pastors how Mm -hmm. to preach Mm -hmm. and how to write sermons and how to study. And so they were talking on the bus at this conference, and one of them mentioned an app that she had on her phone that was for the purpose of writing papers. And she said, hey, you could use this to write a sermon, but what does this do to our jobs, basically, if we don't teach them how to write sermons, if they just use AI? And the dystopian part of this article is they actually did it, they entered did information it. into the thing, and asked the AI component of this program to write that sermon. Yeah, It did in a flash, and therefore they had in a few seconds' time, a thousand words or more to speak from. Mm -hmm. And the question this article raises is, can you just take that into the pulpit and trust it? And even if you can trust it, is it the right thing to do? The thing that pops up in my mind the strongest about this is, where does that leave our ability to process and think through things and be spirit-led? Now, I would be tempted, as I'm doing my studies for my master's degree, To use AI to write papers. Mm -hmm. That would be a temptation to me because I do not like writing papers. It is not fun. Is it a temptation to have it write the paper or is it a temptation to have it write the paper and not admit it? Oh, well, I think I would admit it, but (laughs) it would be a very strong temptation to have it write the paper. Where does that leave my heart Mm. in all of this is the question. Did I actually do the work? Did I actually think through the topic and spend time processing the information I had taken in through Mm -hmm. all the readings I've done and that sort of thing. And I think that's kind of what this author of this article is talking about. How does this leave me feeling, for one Mm -hmm. thing, after I've participated in this process? And 
what do I do with this? Right. Where do I go from here? If I'm just going to throw a scripture at this AI bot and let it write a 300-word mini-sermon for me in a few seconds, where does that leave me as a pastor, hmm. as a teacher, as does a it, theologian? Even? Does it leave you inside the truth, or does it leave you on the outside of others' opinions? That, to me, I think is where the, the question lies. I explain. If you hit the button and you ask AI to go out there and find what the world has to say about this subject and distill it for you in a way that you can use. So AI is making interpretation about what you want because it's programmed to do so. And it does what it's been asked to do. It brings back to you something that's more than the sum of its parts. It's not just a long list of articles. It is a distillation of things and the core principles that are in there. You are collecting from the world's knowledge. I'm not sure you're always collecting from God's knowledge, mm. but there are plenty of people that are students of the word who are on the internet that are contributing to this. So you are actually mining the mind of the body of Christ in some ways because these articles that they're drawing from in AI are not being written by Satanists or atheists. They're looking for people that have written on the subject that you are interested in. So they're looking for affinity, your agreement with the principles and the principles of how to investigate mm-hmm. So it's doing for you an important job faster than you could other ways. So is it being lazy to do it this way, or is it a new way to leverage what you do and maximize your utility in the work that you do by letting others help you? So I would think that if our heart and mind is toward that idea, that I am not looking for someone to think for me. I am very interested in what God has instilled into the wisdom and knowledge and writing of others across centuries. And I would love to get to the heart of what God's been working on through the hearts and minds of people through thousands of years. And I need it now because I need to start here from this point to study and to meditate on it, to analyze things, to exercise my critical thinking by prayer and supplication to God saying, God, I want to know what of your truth is in this article. Help me in my generation, my time right now, to know what you think about what I'm about to read. But that also comes from a heart and a desire to make sure that you are in line Mm. with what God wants and what, what God knows. And that has taken time to get to that point. My concern would be that you would get lazy or that I would get lazy, whomever would Mm -hmm. get lazy. (laughs) and say, oh, I don't really have time to go through all this. I'm just going to assume that I'll read through it and make sure there's no you know, weird stuff. But then at what point do you say, I did the work here and I studied to show myself approved, as yeah. it says in Second Timothy, mm-hmm. and arrived at this through contemplation, through yeah. meditation of the yes. Spirit. What and, is the work that God's calling us to do is the question. Yeah. Uh, the other scripture comes to mind, it was not part of our list in summing up today's articles. It just came to mind to me. It's David going down to the threshing floor when he was commanded to build an altar to God, and, and God said, this is where to do it. And it was in the middle of somebody else's property. And he marches down there and says, God has told me to put an altar here. Mm-hmm. What's your price? because I must do this, but I've I've got to pay the price for it. The man, as a subject of that king, said, no, no, take whatever you want. You're the king, and and God's God. Mm -hmm. You can have whatever you want. And David says, I will not offer up to God something I have not paid for, is the gist of it. I will not do for God, I will not offer to God something which costs me nothing. That has been a profound ethic for us as believers and followers of Yahweh, Jesus, over all these centuries. 
that there's something to be said for sacrifice, the investment of ourselves in something. Mm-hmm. We don't give to God somebody else's gift. God knows what we're actually offering to him, we're actually doing. So I do think there is a supreme ethic here that we must acknowledge the work of others and honor them for that. But if we're going to bring something to God that involves the investment of others in us, we should acknowledge that fully, but figure out what is it that's really me Mm-hmm. that I can put on that altar. Yeah, well, well, so much of what we share with others is experiential. Mm-hmm. If we are sharing the Word of God, it's always through the lens of our experience as well as through the lens of those who have gone before us, mm-hmm. the theologians, the interpreters, the people who lived it during biblical times. But it's always through that lens of our experience. Mm-hmm and our relationship with the Spirit. And I I think that when we start to set that aside, it becomes more sterile Mm. and more laboratory-ish, not useful as much for Mm. general consumption. That's my opinion. I think that these things are great. I think that AI can be important in the assimilating of information Mm -hmm. and gathering of information. I'm not sure how smart it is (laughs) (laughs) or wise it is to use it in sermon writing or in article writing for magazines. I think we can quickly get to some place of accommodation for these tools. I look back and say, I am thankful to God for email and for Microsoft Word for making it possible for me to get thoughts and ideas down and ways to communicate them to others and bounce ideas around and communicate, just correspond with people. Just quickly, yeah. This is the way we do it in our generation. And those are tools that have certain kinds of investment of other people's intellectual property across many, many years that make it possible for me to do things I was never going to be able to do had they not done their work. And the work that they have produced produces glory to God because people can give glory to God because they have more time to do it, really, (laughs) instead of spending time slaving over trying to find a paper and pencils to write things down. Although we also recognize that human beings themselves have a rhythm. There's only so many cycles a minute that your brain can do compared to the incredible speed of the internet and maxi computers that are out there Mm -hmm. doing the work for us. Those are doing the heavy lifting for us on things that we once thought were all dependent upon us but they're not anymore. Does that mean that we have nothing to offer anymore? Mm. Or does it mean that we are now free to offer something even more interesting and more consequential to our lives and the lives of people after us because we have tools and help? I lean optimistically toward that latter idea. Mm. They are to be used wisely. It doesn't always come through the consensus. Often it does not. Mm-hmm. However, that does not mean that just because it's a tool I'm not familiar with, that it's therefore evil. I think there's a very important distinction that needs to be made. Is it opinion or consensus? Mm-hmm. There is a difference there. Well, opinion starts with the individual, right? Yeah. And yeah. many other people can hold that opinion. But there's kind of a point leader there where someone says, this is my idea, and people subscribe to it. They became an expert. That's where the Logos argument comes from. we got to wrap it up here, and I'll leave it with Psalm 119.11. It says, I've treasured your promise in my heart, or your word, so that I might not sin against you. The word is a treasure, and the word is a person. It's God himself. So in the world of information, in the world of opinion, in the world of consensus, there's still something else even beyond that called truth. Mm. And truth itself is the one that's going to be the filter and the adjudicator of what's being said. Either it is for God, of God, and from the source that he gave us of himself, or it is not. And it is our job. It is the honor and the privilege of kings, like we are in some ways, 
in this world. We are heirs of a kingdom. It's our privilege to seek the heart of God for him to disclose things to us. I do believe there's always going to be room for and should be for supernatural input Mm -hmm. and for our supernatural ability to receive it, that he gives us the capacity to understand and discern truth from his heart and that no matter how much information comes at us, it's only a tool on the way to truth. And if we keep that as our core ethic, I think we'll be okay. At the same time, make sure you cite your sources. And pastors, if you're using AI to write things quickly, tell your congregations that this is where you found it. And this is what surprised you about what the world had to say about this. And this is what I'm seeing in God's word that agrees with or contrasts with what the world says. Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful and marvelous way to add a layer of discernment and wisdom and input and value that any person who's seeking the heart of God can do in their time, in their generation, that nobody else can do. Exactly. I have high hope, honey, for the future of AI, (laughs) as long as we are looking for the ultimate true I, which is God's heart and his knowledge, his mind, his self. What technology is leading us to. It will only give us access to more and more information. And we have to be wise discerners. Mm -hmm. That's the heart of God. He wants us to ask for wisdom. It says that in James. He will give it generously. And that's going to do it for us today on Compassion Radio 360. We hope you will join us again Monday for Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. Have a great weekend. (laughs) Your gift of time each day is a genuine treasure to us. Knowing that you're being challenged to live out your faith like never before is a wonderful encouragement to us as well. However you reach out, know that we're in this ministry and this work for you and because of you. Just call or write us today to help keep us on the air and in the field. Our project as we start 2023 is to provide more Bibles through our partner, Bibles for the World. Please give generously today so that we can help John send more copies of the Gospel of John for new believers, along with New Testaments and full Bibles for those growing in their faith. Many of those Bibles are needed right now in Vietnam as the door stands wide open to serve the church there. Call 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And jump in anytime at CompassionRadio.com.